for some of you, you guys are cool, calm, and collected. You have hardly any anxiety. Other people, your anxiety is off the chart. But really, our anxiety should be in proportion to what we are encountering. Welcome to DME Podcast, episode number eight, where we train you and coach you up for survival post DME apocalypse. Life is still tough. You're getting nailed left and right from audits to vendor problems, reimbursements, and that's just what we see on the surface. Then we have to deal with the relationships of our team members, team leads, you name it. And then there's, oh, there's customers too. I'm going to give you some key pointers today that is going to put a few more knives and hammers in your tool belt as you increase your ninja skills. Now, I haven't shared this yet on the podcast. I am also a cross-country coach. I love coaching youth cross-country. I deal with kids as young as five, as old as 18. And I love developing the kids because they're so moldable and you can do wonderful things with them. I, I frequently like to say my job as CEO and coach is my paid job. My unofficial unpaid job is cross-country coach. I would do it in my spare time if I actually got paid for it, which I don't. But I love investing into kids. But here's the great thing about kids. A lot of what I teach my cross-country runners translates over into the business world. And I study coaches, I study great coaches in the sports realm because what happens with coaches is the same thing that happens in our business and we need to understand this. One of my favorite coaches out there, his name is Steve Magnus. You don't need to remember Steve, but Steve is the head cross-country coach at the University of Houston and the man is brilliant. So it's one of those things. He's been there and done that. The guy was fast. He was a screaming fast miler, ran a 401 mile, ran a 401 mile, which is super fast, but it's not elite. And sometimes with some of us, especially great coaches, great coaches are people who might not have all the physical skills, so they know they have to make up for it on the mental side. Here's the thing about Steve. He has taken his running coaching game to the next level by studying his athletes and getting them to the next level, which is my job to help you out as you run your home health care store, as you work with vendors. My job is to empower you and give you the tools just like a great running coach does. Now, one of the things that Magnus focuses on with his runners that works really, really well is he focuses on the mind game. And a lot of that is like us. We come to work. It's hard. We're tired. Something might have happened at work. You have to understand the mind game because if you're sharp mentally, this translates into how we run our business, how we talk to customers, how we talk to our team leaders. Because frankly, if you lose it, I don't care how great your mission statement is. I don't care how great your pricing structure is. If you lose it mentally, you've lost it, and we need to bring the entire game. I'm going to jump into that a little later in this episode as we seek how do we interact better with our team members because if they are functioning at the top of their game, they make you look like you're at the top of your game. Now, like I, I like to start every podcast with a high and low of the week because hey, that's life. We win some, we lose some. Here's my high of the week. 
What started with a low, it started with a low several months ago. I have to go through a write-off log, and these are all those claims we hate. It's where we have billed something, and it was denied by an insurance. I appealed it, and it was denied by an insurance. What happened with us is I had a Group 3 power tilt and recline wheelchair, and the client, my customer, really wanted an elevating seat. They're awesome, they're, and as we know, they're not typically covered by Medicare. My customer had a Med Advantage plan. And what we should be doing, even if they're not covered by Medicare, you we should always give the benefits for extra items and give our customers the opportunity to buy them because frequently they will pay the extra money to get these items. However, what happened with this customer is she said, hey, just at least request the authorization. I'll get a denial, then I'll pay for it. So we requested it. And her physical therapist was wonderful. Wonderful. She justified exactly why my customer needed this elevating seat. Well, we were really surprised when we got the authorization letter and everything was authorized. You know, the tilt, space, recline, group three, you name it, it was all justified. But they also approved the E2300, which is the seat elevate feature. I'm like, this is unusual. They shouldn't have done that. But hey, I have seen other insurances cover them and then they'll pay them. Primarily third-party insurances and Regents will, and this was a Regents Blue Shield plan, and they have covered them for their commercial plans, just not Med Advantage. Well, they approved it. So uh, we said, hey, congratulations, your insurance is going to cover this. Wonderful. We put it on the chair. We delivered it. She loves the chair. It worked great. So then we build the chair to insurance and guess what e2300 was denied which really ticked me off i don't mind if you deny things just tell me ahead of time we're gonna deny it so we appealed it and here's what's frustrating we had the letter saying it was going to be approved like insurances though sometimes they'll try to get you on a technicality billing and working in a dme dme store is a lot like playing the chuck e cheese video game whack-a-mole you try to whack that mole, it pops up, and then it pops out somewhere else later. Very frustrating. And then it gets faster and faster and faster, and eventually you lose the game. This is like working with certain insurance companies. Anyway, we appealed it. I had all the justification of why the seat elevate feature was going. They still denied it. Typically in these cases, I have to just eat it, write it off, and... Uh, sometimes it's just the cost of doing business. You just, you're going to write it off. And there are claims that that's going to happen. Uh, we have to just be aware that some claims are going to get denied and you're going to have to write them off. So that needs to become a cost of doing business as well too. But this really ticked me off and I wanted to try something new. So this was the very first time I have appealed a claim after I've exhausted all all of my appeals and I didn't want to get a lawyer because even if you get a lawyer they're expensive I'm not anti-lawyer I love lawyers there's some great lawyers in our industry they are expensive and here's the problem with the lawyer if you hire a lawyer and then lose the claim not only do you lose the claim you still have to pay the lawyer fees it gets very very expensive so this was the very first time I appealed this case up to the Washington State Office of the Insurance Commissioner. Now, I had appealed this claim for, oh, we're going on uh, with our billing company and us. We had appealed it up to about a year. 
uh, maybe even two years. I can't give you the exact, uh, but we we got the permission of the patient to say, hey, this is just flat out wrong. Do you mind if we appeal this up to the Washington State Office of the Insurance Commissioner? And our patient was... Uh, we have great relationships with our customers. He was like, absolutely, you let me know what's going on. So we submitted it. In Washington State, you might know we're on the left coast. I mean the west coast. And we are a slightly more liberal state, which is good on some parts, bad on other parts. They are very pro-customer. They do not want customers taken advantage of. So here's the thing. So we submitted it to the Washington State Office of the Insurance Commissioner. And then it was hilarious. The moment they call, contacted Regents, within five days, I had an upper-level insurance reviewer contact me directly as CEO saying, we are really sorry about this. This is what happened. We're paying the claim immediately. Where am I going with this? Every state has an office of the insurance commissioner. Be aware of it. You can appeal your claims past where they're at. This isn't Medicare claims, but this would be um, any of your commercial claims. You can appeal it up. Be careful, though, because you don't want to be known as a squeaky wheel because uh, we'll see what happens. They could decide to drop our insurance later on down the road and say, hey, we're not going to renew your contract. You guys appeal too many claims. But this was one of those. I had all my ducks in a row. And it was well worth it. And insurance companies, what I really wish they would understand is our stores, we need to have a symbiotic relationship. We need to work well with them. Because if we take, if we work well with them, we take good care of their customers and vice versa. So that's what irritated me about that. And hey, we want it highlight of my week. Now here's a low point of my week. I'm not going to say the vendor. And I'm not sure if this is a coronavirus thing or if the or if our supplier is just not doing well financially. And I do know my supplier that I'm working with has fired my last two outside sales reps. So I, I have heard rumors that they're not doing all that well financially, but I have a problem with one of my suppliers. My wheelchairs are not coming in timely, or on some of my power wheelchair repairs. I put an order, we, we put an order in for one of my power wheelchair parts. Uh, a product broke on a group two wheelchair, and they literally said ship date December 23rd, 2020. And I'm I'm, I'm talking to my rehab lead on lead. I'm like, that's like 10 months. I can't tell my customer wait 10 months for this part. We finally went all the way up and lo and behold, if you talk to the right people, they will move things forward and then they say oh i'm sorry about this i'm sorry about this um here is a workaround and it was funny they they managed to find the part that was on back order for 10 months in another warehouse somewhere in the united states so let me know if you're having the same problem with some of your suppliers and what i'm going to do is i need to come up with a another wheelchair manufacturer to i still like this supplier that i work with they've treated us very very well over the years but i need to have another backup i i i usually recommend in your primary product areas you're going to want a primary vendor a secondary vendor and a tertiary vendor one you need the primary and secondary vendor to kind of hold each other accountable because sometimes you 
if something doesn't work with your primary vendor, you need to go to your secondary vendor. But likewise, you, you don't want to distribute everything one-third, 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 because then you're not going to get the volume discounts from your primary vendor that you have. Um, and plus, they keep each other accountable. Um, I, I, I've had several vendors over the years. I've had several vendors over the years. They start taking us for granted, and then they start raising prices. So we always we have a general policy. We look at all prices at least once a year or on major price increases, and it, it's worked very well. But my low point of the week is all of my wheelchair back orders that we have been dealing with. It's been a pain in my side. Um, so I think a lot of it's just the, the residual post-apocalypse our industry is still in. I, I think this will definitely improve next year. Uh, we also buy in bulk. So uh, most of my customers have not seen any of the effects of this, but I'm looking at my supply chain. And you know, it, it could be anything uh, that happens in our industry. It could be coronavirus. It could be... Uh, uh, problems with suppliers. We've had several of our suppliers sell to other bigger major suppliers. Um, so in the next few weeks, I am going to be, uh, I have in the next few weeks, I have a, or who's going to tell us the supplier position, because it's nice to know what, what they have to think. What, you know, it's one of those things. If we take thorough advantage of our suppliers and they go out of business, sorry, we just used our supplier. So a good relationship with our suppliers, our supplier needs to win, we need to win, our customer needs to win, everyone needs to win. On to our podcast this week. I'm going to teach you this week, how do we win when we argue at work? Argue at work? Absolutely. How do we win when we argue at work? Now, what I'd like to teach you this week how to have a great argument with your team members, how to have a great argument with your boss or your team members underneath you. Now, what do you, what do you mean have a great argument? Some people will say, I never have arguments with my boss. I'm like, well, you're either a walkover or he or she is a walkover if you never have agreement disagreements. Because people who don't have disagreements, they're robots. And actually, our pharmacy has a robot and even our robot, fault, uh, even our robot breaks down. So I've seen... I've seen our pharmacists get into an argument with our robots. So everyone has disagreements. So how do you have a good disagreement? Because they are inevitable. Because even people, I never argue. Well, then you're resentful of everything. So whether we're selling wheelchairs, oxygen, hospital beds, dealing with hospice patients, customers, directors, inside sales, outside sales, we've got to be able to have great disagreements. An example that I, I, I've used with our team is a farmer and he is not happy with his crop. Now imagine if you saw this farmer and there was a tree and he was yelling at his apples. He was so doggone mad. The, these beautiful red, what we have out here now is called the cosmic crisp apples. They're amazing. But imagine if they were not red or the right color that they were supposed to be. And they and he would just yell at the apples and yelled and yelled and yelled. You'd say, he is crazy. Why is he yelling at the apples? If he was smart, he'd realize if you yell at the apples, it doesn't fix things. If you're a farmer, you would understand what he would need to do. Count his losses. Hey, that apple's gone. Maybe I'll make some applesauce out of it. 
but next year I will fertilize better. Next year I'll use the right pesticides. Next year I'll make sure that I keep the birds away or whatever it's going to take. And even then, at the end of the day, you have to pray that you don't have some sort of natural disaster. Likewise, that's the same of having great disagreements at work. I had a wonderful disagreement with my COO a few weeks ago, and it just baffled me. We we went around and around and around in circles, and we're pretty good at this dance, but this one really stuck to me. It's just because I couldn't figure out why we were disagreeing. I remembered there was a book that I read called Why Are We Yelling? And it's a book about the art of productive disagreements. And this is very, very helpful. And I've we use this, I use this when you run into an area that you almost wonder, why are we having this argument? It makes no sense at all. And the first thing is, is we need to understand anxiety. For some of you, you guys are cool, calm, and collected. You have hardly any anxiety. Other people, your anxiety is off the chart. But really, our anxiety should be in proportion to what we are encountering. So for example, you're running a little bit late to work on a scale of one to five, and then you hit three red lights. You're going to be late for a very important meeting with your team. You should have a little bit of anxiety. You should care for your team members. You should maybe have a one on the anxiety scale of one to five. We had another one of our team members. We were talking about this, and we went to go do an oxygen delivery. And where we thought it was was not where it was. It turned out to be it turned out to be on a very dark, unmarked road. Things looked kind of sketchy. Um, it was actually up in the mountains. And when our delivery uh, oxygen delivery technician got out there, uh, their spidey senses were going because it was kind of it, it was it was a homeless camp, and there was massive drug use. Um, there anxiety level they told me was a four out of five they were scared for their life now anxiety should be in proportion to what you are experiencing now if you're if you're late to a meeting and have an anxiety level of four probably too high if you're facing a life or death experience and something very important to you is collapsing and you have anxiety of one i'm gonna say hey that's not high enough so i find it i find it really helpful for us to understand our anxiety levels and just make sure it's in proportion to what you're encountering. So for example, if you're late to work, you need to plan better. In terms of this oxygen delivery, we went over our policy and you know, it's part of our policy. If we are uncomfortable with the delivery, I allow my team members, you don't have to make that delivery anytime. You can call an audible and say, you know, I just don't feel comfortable doing this. Uh, you have to call the patient and let them know, hey, I don't feel comfortable doing this. And then we, uh, the way we still take care of them is we do the deliveries in the local hospital where they've been discharged for or our store where we make sure to have two team members there at all times, even after hours. Um, so that's those are two options that we do that. And it, it's a way of honoring our team members. But this is one of those things. Uh, sometimes we have to remind our team members, hey, this is our policy. So be aware of your team members and where their anxiety goes up and down. If their anxiety is way too high for something that's not, um, you need to coach them on that. Sometimes I wish my team members had higher anxiety. And sometimes I will purposely issue a warning or do something to get some anxiety. Um, a one great way of creating anxiety where people 
um, in, in a good, good healthy way is I, I set deadlines for our team to close all orders by the end of the month to follow up on WIP status, which is work in progress status. That's a good way of creating good anxiety to get things done. Now, after understanding how anxiety works and how we can use it both for our positive and negative advantage or disadvantage, it's good to understand how we can reason uh, with ourselves, our team members, our bosses, and everyone else. And there are four voices of reason. Now, the most popular voice of reason and is, is, it tends to be a lot of, uh, we all will have a primary voice here, pretty much the first three options. Option number one is the voice of power. We're all familiar with this. A voice of power is, hey, you're going to do this. Might is right, take it or leave it, my way or the highway, do as I say, that's an order, this isn't a debate, beggars can't be choosers, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, you name it. Uh, that is the voice of power. Now, the voice of power can be great, um, and, and even certain companies have capitalized on the voice of power. Nike, just do it. That is the voice of power. Um, you will hear frequently in politics, gunboat diplomacy, or in Silicon Valley, fake it till you make it. Uh, the voice of power, you know, it, it, it can be very helpful sometimes. But here's the problem with the voice of power. What if you're wrong? Or what if you're not convinced? Or eventually, some people will just some people will just quit. They're they're not. They don't want to be ordered around anymore. If this is you, uh, pay attention to your team members when you ask them to do something. Now you can't have. Uh, I'll get into how this looks like when you go through order processes, instructing patients or instructing customers. The voice of power can't be used all the time because eventually um, you just get tired. You get tired of having the arguments. Now, you'll say, well, Eric, I don't use the voice of power. I use the voice of reason. So, for example, here's the voice of reason. Why? Little kids love this one. Show me the evidence. Prove it. That doesn't add up. What's fair is fair. I didn't make the rules. That's not how it's done. These are CMS's requirements. Your doctor didn't date it this way. They did something wrong. The voice of reason tends to work great with, with what I will call stereotypically the boomer generation. They are highly, um, they have a high-end source of reason. Uh, I have found most boomers to be very reasonable. Now, granted, sometimes they get thrown for a loop. But um, here are, you know, four areas that um, I've seen use a lot of reason. Uh, number one is religion. I've seen not all religions, but a lot of religions, they'll make a good reasonable claim to their faith. Um, democracy. Uh, we see this right now. Uh, it's a system of government where each side is trying to reason. This is why we are right. They're using reason. Some good, some not so good, but it's definitely a form of reason. Third, capitalism. Uh, we do this in our store every single day. Hey, we have items. Here's the price, either high, low, or what I said in some of my earlier podcasts, this is good, better, and best. We are using reason and capitalism to try and spur a decision. 
and there's science. This is a body of knowledge of meaning acquired through observation, experimentation, and being able to replicate things. The nice thing about reason is you can reason with your team members. Our team, hey, we have profit sharing. Hey, I'm going to reason with them to take really good care of our customers, to watch how we spend our money so our profits go up. It's, it's, it's the voice of reason. Works wonderful most times. However, sometimes it doesn't work when people are unreasonable or you have the wrong data, and we all know that. Here's the upside of the voice of reason. As when we share cultural norms and respect the same higher authority, we have lots of great tools for resolving differences of opinion. Hey, let's look at the facts. We hear this. Now, here's the downside. What happens when culture changes? What happens when you have different people from different backgrounds? You then, what does that look like? How are you going to resolve the disagreements? Some people will say, well, there's no one right way or put God back in school or you name it. Well, here's <laughs> it's easier said than done. Now, what what can happen when we try to apply reason across the boundaries of groups with clashing norms? We set ourselves for a whole lot of yelling and frustration. And you see this if you, <laughs> you look at any sort of politics, it's it's I, I almost don't even turn it on just because I don't like hearing all the yelling. I have kids, so someday I, I might watch more politics as I don't have young kids in the house, but I, I can't deal with the yelling. So, but how, what do you do then if you have two sides that don't agree? So we've tried the voice of power, can work. Sometimes it doesn't work. We tried the voice of reason, but what happens when reason lets us down? Well, that's easy the voice of avoidance. Just avoid it. We all know those. And here's the thing with avoidance. Avoidance is you just don't do it. An example of avoidance, unfortunately, is what happens when some doctor's offices call us and say, or we call them and we, we call a doctor's office and say, hey, I need a, a new notation on those chart notes. And you cross your fingers, will the doctor ever get back to us? Frequently, they understand doctors sometimes understand avoidance. I'm just going to avoid doing this and maybe the durable medical equipment supplier will go away. And sometimes we do go away. Sometimes we go bankrupt. Sometimes avoidance will fix your problems. Um, I've had a few really hard problem patients and they ask for unreasonable items and we will sometimes put off the return phone call in hopes that they just go away. And sometimes they do just go away. They'll move to another city. I had a patient, he was just a thorn in my side. He thought his power wheelchair was going to be his vehicle. I let him know it's not a vehicle. It's made for indoor use, but he thought it's going to be my form of how I'm going to get around the city now. So of course he drove it everywhere and it broke down on him. So we would fix it. And you know, we, we did what we could. I was very happy when this person moved outside of our city to another city. Now, we have good policies in place where he didn't take too much of advantage of us, but it still was exhausting when he would call and swear on the phone at us. And he had the gift of making some of my greatest 
communications team members cry, where they would all basically forget policy because of what he said to them. But um, so we avoided it, and he he disappeared. But avoidance is not a long-term solution. Avoidance can get very expensive. Back in 2008 and 2009, I avoided getting perfect chart notes on some of my power wheelchair deliveries. Now, I had the basic prescriptions, and they were exactly what they were, but I, I knew I should have gotten the perfect chart notes to prove and just cover my rear end in case of an audit. Oh, I won't get audited. I haven't been audited on it. Well, lo and behold, guess what? Audits happened three years later, and every one of this batch of power wheelchairs, I think I had 12 of them, came back, and I failed the audit ended up costing me close to $50,000. So the art of avoidance is not a long-term strategy. It's not, it's going to hurt you long-term. Now we can hope, but we need to be honest with ourselves. If we avoid certain things, it's going to come back to bite us. And it really hurts if it's a $50,000 educational experience. Let's call it that. That makes me feel a little bit better. Now, here's the best way. The fourth voice. We've talked about power, We've talked about reason. We've talked about avoidance. The best voice to understand why we are yelling is the voice of possibility. Now, what's the voice of possibility? The voice of possibility is to ask questions in search of answers. This is the voice that says, maybe there's something I don't know. It's the voice of humility. For some of us, this is hard. This means you need to say, you know what? You, you might have to tell someone they might be right. And in my, in my experience, what drives me nuts is, do you ever have that customer that they are a jerk? They yell at you. They do all sorts of things. The people that drive me the most crazy are, I swear, nine things they tell me are wrong, rude, one out of 10 is right. And what's hard is even though nine of the things they told you is wrong, the one thing they tell you is right is right. They'll point out the one thing you didn't do perfectly. And here's what's hard. Yeah, we need to own it. The voice of possibility says, you know what, that might be right. That one thing is right. And we need to own that. Now, what can happen is if we don't foster an environment of possibility, if we don't encourage our own team members especially to share with us, we can get nailed by something we are not prepared for. This is actually this is one of the main reasons I do this podcast. I want to help you out. I want to coach you on what to be aware of so you can do a wonderful job in your medical supply. So let me give you an example, and I, I, I borrow this example from Jordan Peterson, who's a psychologist, but it's going to be crazy. So let's say you believe in reason, but you don't believe in white vans from the left side. You don't believe they exist. You know, every time you go across the street, always look left, look right, and, um, you know, stop for oncoming traffic. But let's say I don't believe in white vans. I might see a white van, but I don't believe in it. It doesn't exist. Well, every now and then, I'll get nailed from this white van from the left side. Eventually, I'm going to have to come to an agreement that white vans from the left side do exist. 
Now, you might say, Eric, that's asinine. I, of course, believe in white vans from the left side. Some people don't believe in certain things. When we have a team member that leaves us, when we have customers that get angry at us, we need to ask what caused that anger. You can't, we can't just say, well, they're crazy. They're unreasonable. They're entitled. They want Medicare to pay for everything. It's the doctor's fault. You know what? We need to own that we are part of the process because if we just get mad at everything else, our team members and customers won't share with us their opinions and frequently they can help us out. The number of great information I have heard from my customers about what doctors actually tell them about us is encouraging and scary at the same time. But at the same time, we use it to better take care of our doctors, which is our number one referral source. I use my team members. Exit interviews, I ask them, hey, how did we take good care of you as a team member? Where did we blow it? And it's hard when they tell me where I blow it and it's to my face. But I, I own, you know, what I can own. And what this is doing is it's allowing the hidden world to come up. And it's it's like when my son was even younger, he thought there were monsters downstairs. Well, if I go downstairs with him and turn the light on, there's obviously no monsters downstairs. But he did not know that. But here's the thing. Sometimes there are monsters. Sometimes there are audit monsters that will audit your CPAP supplies to make sure you have the right documentation and those audit monsters they're flat out real if you don't know any of them i can tell you some of them they're out there they're scary so the way we encounter those monsters is the voice of possibility the way i've learned how to do this is to ask lots of questions and when you when we hear a question i want to give an answer that's my knee-jerk reaction is to give a response. Today I had a, uh, two of my teams have had a few disagreements. It was my rehab team, which does all of our wheelchairs, and my operations team, which is just the muscle and backbone of our company. They were having disagreements on taking care of some of our rehab patients. So what I did was I started the meeting and I let everyone know I want to start with 15 questions and I, you want to do something. I, I've done as much as 15 minutes worth of questions and as little as two. But what I like to do is I like to just get a bunch of questions, even some really dumb questions out there because yeah, you're going to get some dumb questions, but you know, you don't know of those 15 questions, which are the good questions and which are the bad questions until you look at all of them. I loved the questions that they came up with. And by doing that, it creates this voice of possibility. Now, once you have that voice of possibility, it lets us know what are we missing? What else is possible? Who else can we bring into this conversation to give us new perspective? Because at the end of the day, we want to take care of our customers. We want to take care of our team members and we want to make some money. That's that's why I'm in business. We're looking at, you know, to going back to the, illustration of the apple tree if you have rotten roots it's going to die it is not going to be healthy or in weeds if you don't if you might yank up the top if the weeds are still there it's going to come back we need to look at the whole thing now if you're like me you like to fix everything at once but 
I don't always make great decisions on a moment's notice. I need to think about them. I always, you know, in, in carpentry, they will say measure twice, cut once. Well, why, why can't you just cut the first time? Well, if you cut too much off, then you have to buy a new sheet of plywood or you have to buy a new two by four. Now, let's say you're trying to get to a treasure and there's a big boulder in your way. You could be like, boulders suck, just pulverize this thing. Or you could say, well, I'm, I'm pragmatic. Hire a mover for 10% of the treasure's value that I'm going to get on the other side of the boulder. Very opportunistic. You could be the voice of avoidance and say, you don't need any more boulders in your life and just go the other way and avoid even the treasure you might come up with. Or you can look at the boulder and say, hey, what can I learn from this boulder? So one of the things that we can do, talk to the internal voices in your life. Now, some people have better voices inside their heads than others. And you know if it works or not when test them and see if they work or not. But if something is in the way, talk through what can I learn from this situation. And some of the questions that I will ask, what's urgent right now? What's threatening right now? What could be? What could I be doing right now instead of this? Um, how can I know if these answers are really serving my best interests? What would happen if I did nothing? There's nothing wrong with asking that questions. I frequently will say, well, what will happen if I wait two days? And in our, in our meeting today, we asked that question. What happened? Everyone wants their wheelchair picked up immediately. But what happens if we say, you know, we can pick that wheelchair up next week? You know what happens? 20, 27% give or take of the time people bring that wheelchair in earlier, which cuts my delivery fees. So how do we argue at work? We need to be honest about our anxiety level. We need to be honest about what we are using at what time to teach people. The best way to do it is possibility. Get them to ask great questions. What if they're right? Then I better change what I think because they might be right. But what if I'm right? I would want them to change what they think. And some of our best customers, some of our best doctors, are our customers and doctors that have left us and have come back because they realize we treated them honorably. So understand anxiety level and understand the four ways that we can influence people. Power, reason, avoidance, and possibility. Possibility is the best. But there are times for the other three as well, too. I shared earlier about my high. That was a power move on my side. I went to the Washington State Department of Insurance. That's that that's that's a poker chip you can only play play so many times. You cannot do that with every single claim. So I want to thank you again for listening to the DME Coach podcast. It's always a pleasure to earn your ear. If hey, if there's someone that you feel would benefit from these, forward it on to them. Um, likewise, I'm really exciting for some of the upcoming podcasts that we have next week. I have a great interview that I had with the occupational therapist who came from Quantum Mobility, 
who taught some of our therapists and our team members about great wheelchair documentation. Now, we will hear in this interview what it takes to train ATPs as well as how do you build a great rehab department from the inside. I don't have a lot of money where I can just go hire ATPs. We have an ATP training program from the inside and I had our team ask him these questions. It's a great interview and uh, it, it's, it's always fun talking with really smart people. So we have that next week. Now, I mentioned last week, we still have DME coaches. DME, one of the services we offer at DME Coach is three. We are offering a assessment of your business. We're calling it the home health care assessment. And what this is, is three monthly one-hour phone calls where we check the health of your business. This is your business checkup. It'll take... And I guarantee you, it will be well worth your time. We'll look at the roots, we'll look at the trunk, and we'll look at the fruit of your business. If you say, hey, my apples, hey, my fruit's pretty messed up. Hey, no worries. We'll figure out what we can do to fertilize the soil where you're producing better and better fruit. So if you're interested in this, go to dmecoach.com. Take really good care of your customers and even better care of your team members. Talk to you next week.